So good morning, church. Back back in the summer when I was uh, working through what series we should start this fall, I kept I kept coming back to Ephesians, but I was hesitant. I, I was hesitant, and much of my hesitation came from this chapter, chapter five. Last week wasn't well, wasn't that fun? Acknowledging. Sexual immorality, our desire for it and the consequences of it wasn't something I was really excited to talk about. However, as much as I wasn't excited about talking about sexual morality, I was even more hesitant because of our verses this morning. But God put a strong way on my heart to go through the book of Ephesians. And since that's the case, we're going to go through the whole book, which means we're not going to skip this stuff that makes us squirm, or at least makes me squirm a bit. This morning our text is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. It's a text that has in many ways been abused by not just the casual reader, but also the church at times. It's a text that our progressive culture scoffs at and points to as a way of degrading Christianity, of emphasizing how backwards our belief systems is in their eyes. And yet, despite what the perception may be, the truth is that this text has wonderful wisdom and gospel truth for each of us. This morning, our text is on marriage, but not just marriage, for it is specifically talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. As we read the words and as we journey through their meaning, I pray that whether you are married happily, unhappily, are divorced or widowed or are single happily or unhappily, that God would make his plan for you and his love for you very clear. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. We read the word of the Lord. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as the church is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray in your name. Amen. Passages like this one are some of the hardest to study in today's society. 
When we read, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, the warning sirens in our heads, like just they start going off. You know, this is dangerous ground. This is not politically correct. Be very, very careful how you interpret this. And really, that's the key, isn't it? Interpretation. What is Paul telling us in these passages? This passage, among others, but this passage in particular, has pushed many Christians into a very a liberal view of interpret, interpreting Scripture. People have like bent over backwards trying to interpret this passage in a way that is less patriarchal, focused on male leadership, and more palatable, more acceptable for the 21st century. And I get it. I get it. I mean, we, we live during a time when women have made great progress in the social and political spheres. We just saw a bunch of women get voted into Congress, and that's great. And while it may not be practiced as much as it should be, there is a general recognition in society that women who do the same job and share the same qualifications as a man should get the same pay as the man does. I mean, you think that this is common sense, but these are things that women have had to fight for over a very long period of time. There's still a lot of work to be done to combat the everyday sexism that women face. But as a society in general, we've made a lot of progress. And then we read passages like ours today and we fear that it's all going to go out the window. And this is partially because this passage seems to allow, even encourage ideas that are still a massive struggle in our society today. That of sexual harassment and domestic violence. Now, there are things about this text that our PC culture is not going to appreciate, and we just have to recognize that. Like, it's just important to recognize that. But it's also important to understand that this text is in no way, shape, or form giving license for sexual harassment or domestic violence. That is not what this text is doing. So what is it saying? First, it's important to understand what Paul is saying when he uses the word submit. Here are three things it's important to keep in mind when talking about submission in the way our passage this morning talks about it. Submission is always conditional upon obedience to God. So if a husband demands that his wife disown or disobey God or commit immorality or do something illegal, she should not obey him. She should not follow the direction that he's given. Submission is also not mindless. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed with great passion to his Father for permission to avoid suffering on the cross. But his concluding commitment was, not my will, but yours be done. To submit is not to become a doormat, unable to offer an opinion or express disagreement with a husband's view. But the bottom line, after all the debate, is to submit to the leadership of the husband. Submission is not about ability, but order. I want to say that one again. This one's huge. Submission is not about ability, but order. This one really flies in the face of our societal understanding. We're trained to think that the person who does something best is the one who should be doing it. Like, it's common sense. It's plain logic. Submission, however, isn't about ability. It's about order. Obviously, a wife will often be more competent in some things or wiser in some of her judgments or right on an issue that there is disagreement on. 
If her husband has any sense or wisdom, he will listen to her opinions and delegate responsibilities and decisions to her for which she is better suited than he is. If anyone knows me, they know I'm real bad at the details. Like the details are not my strong suit. And when you're trying to balance balance like a budget or do anything with like finances or paying the bills, that's a bad quality to have. Like bills get paid late when I'm in charge of anything because I, it's just not there. It's not in my brain. I don't. I don't even begin to think about it, but my, my wife has been blessed with very much competence, a lot of competence in, in that particular area. She takes care of the money in our house. I don't, I don't touch it. I don't even get cash, man. Like, I'm going to spend that if I've got it so she gets it, and that's just how it goes because I can't do it. I can't. I'm not good. It's not about ability. It's about or, or who can do something better. It's, it's about order. It's about order. Now that we've touched on submission as it relates to this passage, it's also important to talk about equality as it relates to men and women in Scripture. There is no justification in the Bible for any condescending sexism or boorish male domination. But the Bible does claim that, however loudly our culture recoils from recognizing gender differences, God has generally designed men and women to react different and complementary and equally admirable aspect, or sorry, has generally designed men and women to reflect different and complementary and equally admirable aspects of his own character. We're different. Men and women are different, and that's a good thing, though our society is trying as hard as they can to blur the lines between gender. The Bible is very clear that men and women are very different. Not in a one better than the other type of way, but in a complementary sort of way. And we see this in the order that God has established in marriage. Now again, as we look at order, it is crucial to understand that in biblical thinking, order does not imply equality or inequality because God is an ordered trinity. I'll say that again. In biblical thinking, order does not imply inequality because God is an ordered trinity. So Christ, Christ rules over the church, but also submits to his Father, yet is equal with him. And we may have different roles in relationships. Someone may exercise loving authority over her children and her colleagues, willingly submit to the authority of her employer, her church elders, and her husband, and yet be absolutely equal in importance and dignity with them all. Richard Koken, in his commentary on Ephesians, he put it this way. Since God is three equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God designed us for marriages in which husbands and wives are equally dignified. Since God's Trinity is ordered with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, gladly submitting to God the Father, so he has designed all human relationships, including marriage, with authority exercised lovingly and submission giving willingly, without any implication of superiority or inferiority. Contrary to popular belief, the inferior person is not the one that submits. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are not inferior to God, for they are all God. In the same way in our relationships, there is no inferior person or superior person. We just have different roles to play in leadership, and in following that leadership. 
Now, when discussing submission as it relates to this text, some will point out the first verse in our passage that states submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And they would say that this means all Christians should be submitting to each other. Right? So everyone just submits to everyone. Like, that's, that's how the plan works. Now, I mean, that sounds fair, and we really like fair. Like, we're, we're super into fair. It's, it's not possible. It's not something that works. It's, it's like going out on a date and trying to figure out what to eat. We, we, we've done that before. Like, if you don't have a plan, you, like, get in the car. How many times have, have Karen and I, like, got in the car? We got our babysitter lined up. That's great. We get in the van, and we sit in the van for, like, 10 minutes. Well, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I'm not really sure. But, like, we should, like, what do you feel like? Well, I'm, I'm kind of feeling a burger. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could probably do that. Well, maybe I'd rather have fish and chip. I, I'm not really sure exactly where I want to go. So we're each trying, well, can you just make a decision for crying out loud? I'm getting hungry. Right? Like, that's where we, we get to end up. Somebody has to make a decision. Somebody has to lead. You can't submit to someone who is submitting to you. You can't. It's a physical impossibility. It sounds good in our heads. We like that word. Like, we like how that works. Yeah, that's good. Then we're all just, it doesn't work. It's impossible. Someone has to lead. And however politically incorrect it may sound, it is clear in our text today that God requires husbands to exercise loving rule and care as the head or leader of the family while the wife is required to accept that leadership. Notice that the wife is required to accept the husband's leadership. The husband is not licensed to enforce it. The husband is not licensed to enforce it. It is not the job of the husband to make the wife submit. This is an abuse of this passage. And this passage, sadly, gets abused a lot. Misunderstanding this passage can pit husband against wife and and vice versa. Each person is accountable for God for the responsibilities of the role that they have been given to fill, they are not accountable to each other. It is not the responsibility of the husband to make sure his wife is being submissive to his leadership. And it is not the responsibility of the wife to tell her husband how much of a failure he is, particularly at leading. God's word does not leave marriages to become a battle between a man's biceps and a woman's tongue. God's word does not leave marriages to become a battle between a man's biceps and a woman's tongue. That has never been part of the plan. And that is not the type of leadership that Paul is advocating. So what is? How does this passage tell us the husband is to lead? Husbands, love your wives, in verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A husband's leadership is to flow from his love for his wife. A husband is to love his wife for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. Not just providing for her materially, but giving himself to her physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Guys, if work, hobbies, 
Even ministries stop us as men from being able to give ourselves to our wives in the way that they need. Then we need to reevaluate our actions and priorities and make changes accordingly. But it's more than just the husband meeting the needs of the wife. It is also supporting God's will for his wife. A husband is to be concerned not primarily for his wife's short-term happiness, but for her long-term holiness. That doesn't mean establishing an overly intense marriage, but instead building a marriage that enables both husband and wife to serve God together. To establish a relationship where the, where the gentle curbing, a gentle calling out of sin is encouraged and supported. And where forgiveness is not withheld, but given freely. Submission. Leadership. How are we doing with these things in our marriages? Wives, are you perfectly submitting to your husband? Husbands, are you leading and loving your wife perfectly? Despite the impression you know we often give Sunday mornings, no marriage is without difficulties and regrets. The relief, the hope, the promise that we receive in the gospel is that although almost everyone who has been married has emotionally, if not physically, been unfaithful, and no wife or husband has ever loved their spouse as God commands, we can all come to him for his complete forgiveness and for the transforming power of his Holy Spirit. You guys, there is forgiveness for our failure. Husbands who have failed to love and lead your wives perfectly, there is forgiveness. Wives who have failed to be submissive to your husbands perfectly, there is forgiveness. And to those of us who are part of marriages that failed, there is forgiveness. As I think of the ways that I failed in being the perfect husband and I look around and see the failings in marriages all around me, it just continues to strike me as utterly amazing that God decided to use this union of two very broken, sinful people who may be incredibly different from each other, this unlikely union as a powerful demonstration in the spiritual realms of God's eternal plan to unite everything under Christ. And we see this plan throughout Scripture. Genesis 2 presents marriage as the union of a man and a woman, reflecting the unity of God. The Song of Songs describes the erotic passion of a husband and wife, reflecting the intimate love of Christ for his people. Psalm 45 celebrates the royal magnificence of a king who makes a poor girl his princess, as Christ has accepted the church as his bride. Revelation 7 and 21 celebrate the multicultural diversity of Jesus' church at his wedding banquet. But here in Ephesians 5, Paul celebrates marriage as a powerful illustration of the sacrificial love of Christ for his broken and in needy bride, the church. As a spectacular witness to God's gospel plan in the spiritual realms. For Christ is the good husband. He is able to love us perfectly. 
And he does love us perfectly. He gave himself for us. He washed us with his word in baptism. And through faith in, our, in him, our sins that were once scarlet are now white as snow. And all of this, despite the reality that we, the church, his bride, fail him constantly. But our failing does not affect his feelings towards us. He loves us the same now as he will love us tomorrow. And whether we're married or we're single, widowed, or divorced, we mustn't miss where Paul directs our attention, where he places our hope. Not in human marriage, but towards the marriage of Christ and his church. When I was younger and uh, in my like mid to late teens, I went through a series of I mean, for me, they were, they were pretty significant heartbreaks. It was hard. And I remember, like, a time in my life when I just thought, I wish everything was just arranged. Like, that would be great. I wouldn't have to worry about this anymore. I would just, like, this is the woman that my father or mother picks out for me. Fantastic. I don't got to make the decision. I can't deal. Because every time I make a decision, I'm just getting hurt. I'm just getting busted. And I don't want to deal with this anymore. And so I went and I told my dad that. And he was like, that is way too much pressure. Forget it. Like, I, I am not doing that. You get to make that choice. You get to make that decision, kid. Like, that, that's on you. And I, and I get that. But there is something, there is something beautiful about an arranged marriage. And we can see that here. The Bible is the story of God choosing a wife for his son. Story of God choosing a wife for his son. And astonishingly, choosing wretched sinners like us to be the bride. And as the bride of Christ, as the church, we enjoy, we bask, we live in his marvelous grace. What a wonderful God we serve. Amen.